This is Justin Mason with a mostly green life, dude. Dude. The podcast that's making sustainability and our connection to the environment more fun and approachable for the eco-curious. Man. Today we're chatting with Sean Cooney of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition about everyone's favorite topic on 420. Reefers. <laughs> well, and the sustainability of the cannabis industry. We probably all know the industry has boomed in the last several years as legalization keeps getting passed in state after state. But how does the industry score when it comes to the environment? Keep listening to find out. Sean, you started in technology, right? Virtualizing networks. Yeah, not that long ago either. Up until 2013, I was in, in, in tech and developed a bunch of technologies for moving data around or compressing data or encrypting data. So a, you know, very predictable to go from tech to uh, container farming. And you started before cannabis, right? You were doing containers with lettuces and other. Yep. Yeah. And we, and we still are. We're, you know, we're continuing to do that and because they're modular, we can run them in the same space basically, but as different businesses. Oh yeah. Um, so we don't get into potential problems with the, with the state over, you know, them not wanting one business to be touching another. Right. Um, right. And, uh, <laughs> That's they don't cool. touch, but they're, they're really close. Yeah. <laughs> And I like to quote on the website, it, it read like you grow the largest possible amount of food with the smallest possible carbon footprint. Is that part of your container farm um, claims? That's 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 part of the claims. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it, there's lots of ways to look at it. We use as little electricity as possible, even though we're using LED light, but we're not using too much. We keep the cold out, we keep the heat in. Yeah. And, you know, we're cramming as many plants per square foot into the space as possible. Yeah. And so right off the bat, I'm curious, how much did you leverage your background in technology for the innovations y'all have done in container farming? I can't say it was leveraged, but what we really did is it, what it made it, it made it comfortable gotcha. to go from one to the other. You know, it made it possible to look at the technology that it takes to run that business, to run the indoor growing business and all of the connections and connectivity that are required to do that. Basically it's running uh, a data business, you know, and mm -hmm. instead of monitoring, you know, lot, lots of the things you would think of monitoring, we're monitoring plants in the plant environment. And did your interest in cannabis come from Shall we say a long-term relationship with cannabis? I, I mean, I've had a long-term relationship with cannabis, but that wasn't the main reason. It wasn't <laughs> like I was waiting to get into the cannabis business till it was legal. It was really from running a small farm. You know, if you're not running a large industrial farm, it's very hard to reach scale where you can throw off enough money to 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 make to have it have it make sense long-term. Uh, and if you look at most small farms. You know, and for me, I think technically a small farmer is anything less than 500 acres. Yeah. Um, different yeah, people in, have different in, definitions. Right. In the big world, in yeah. the real world. In the real it's, world. It's, <laughs> in the real world. Yeah. You know, if you're not, if you're not doing half of the, the, the Central Valley in California, it's not a big farm. 
but if you look at most small small farms, they grow some basic products, and then they usually have a couple of couple or one cash cow yeah. or the you know the the, the the cash crop. And in the Northeast around here, it's tomatoes or berries or that kind of a thing. They've got the base income from growing carrots and lettuce and those and sort of general things that you would buy in a grocery store. And then, you know, they, there's something where you can get a, a good amount per pound and you grow a bunch of that. And that's the sort of operating profit. Marijuana presented itself as the right crop to be growing for a farmer in that environment as a cash crop. Yeah, makes sense. And my guess is you might see more of it from some of the large indoor growers. It I seems mean, like it's, just... it's booming for sure. You know, what we learned is that the cannabis industry, we know it's growing rapidly, but we learned that global sales are expected to reach somewhere. I think it was like 30 billion by 2025. Which, legal. Legal, <laughs> legal, which is a yeah. ton of marijuana. <laughs> yeah. What are a few of the factors that catapulted that growth? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it is, it, there's, there's still not that much growth on the experimenter side. There is a growth, but not, not that much. They usually display it as the standard bell curve. There's mm -hmm. like the bottom 25% are the people who smoke lots of marijuana or use lots of marijuana products. And then there's the middle of the curve, which are the people who are interested <laughs> and may occasionally use it. And then there's the far end who's like, oh, no way, this is not going to happen. So right. there's, a, there's still a huge, that middle of the bell curve which may be occasional users or curious. And that's so still, still that, that's the growth. Yeah, yeah that, that's the growth. And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, I mean, it's not so much related to what I'd be doing as growing, but it's, uh, it's going to be product development. Mm, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the cannabis industry to really maximize its growth and, and to have things that people are going to want to spend their hard earned money on. Uh, they've got to start looking at what they're producing in terms of non-flower products. Right. And that's like gummies or yeah, anything else. How many gummies Chewables. can you sell? <laughs> yeah, that's part of the problem with the growth is yeah. gr a gummy isn't an attractive product. Yeah. I mean, you know, how many gummies, you know, you can't be eating gummies all the time. People don't want to eat candy. <laughs> yeah. Know? Weed coffee you know? was the one that when I first heard of it, I was like, now that is genius. <laughs> right. So that's, I mean, yeah, and, and to produce it in a way that that's an attractively packaged, useful product for people to use on a regular basis or any of the drink products, the beverage mm -hmm. products right. that aren't, that aren't sweet lemonade, mm -hmm. you know, which is what most of it is. You know, there's very little... You know, it's not even approaching the level of sophistication of the hard sodas that are out there. You know, they're starting to get fairly sophisticated about the taste of those products, how they package them, what they're talking about them. So, and that's kind of just at the at a base level. Um, so this there's a huge there's a huge opportunity, but the people who are making products from cannabis have to get much more sophisticated about what they're making. And good candy is good candy, but I don't need that much candy and I'm not <laughs> going to eat more candy uh, because it has cannabis in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. And so from your perspective, do you think sustainability has always been ingrained with the cannabis industry or does when you look out at it, does it look more like traditional agriculture? Uh, I would say traditional ag indoor well in well they're all of it i don't think the cannabis is any more or less sustainable than the other parts of the ag industry 
Uh, I think people growing outdoors are very, very concerned about and try to steward the land they grow on. But often the practices they use, plowing is the main one, uh, and use of uh, and use of chemicals to uh, not even chemicals, but just fertilizers. Lots of fertilizers, you know, is are not necessarily the best practices. Mm -hmm. You know, they really want the land. They really want to take care of the land. But what they're doing aren't necessarily great sustainability practices. They focus on that and talk about it and understand it. People mm -hmm. growing in greenhouses. Uh, and indoors, you know, are still feeling their way through it. You know, they're looking at making good products and are trying to do as best they can, but they're suffering from the same sort of thing that the, the technology to grow well indoors or in greenhouses is just beginning to get adopted. Hmm. Um, you know, monitoring the environment 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a sort of a 3D way. So knowing what's going on all across the facility, not just like where the thermometer is or yeah. where the humidistat is or, you know, those kind of things. You have to start being really careful about what you're doing in order to do it. Cannabis has got a hangover from its past four, the past 40 years. There are a lot of ingrained practices that may or may not be the best way to do things mm -hmm. um, that are sort of counter to what agricultural research has been showing over the past 40 years. But the cannabis industry is kind of is hesitant sometimes to take advantage of the learnings from the universities, land grant university system, which researches growing things yeah. all day long, every day, and has been for a hundred years. You know, it may not have been with cannabis, but there's a lot of written stuff that's written. And I think the industry is a little bit hesitant and the, and the universities are put in a bind. They would like to be doing research to help out this new agricultural industry, cannabis and hemp, uh, but they can't because they're fearful of their um, their federal USDA funding. So yeah. they're really hesitant to do plant touching research, uh, which the industry sorely needs. Right. And so what are some of the components of growing marijuana that have a negative impact on the environment? Um, I know you mentioned, you know, the use of herbicides or pesticides. Are there any additional? There's a lot. I mean, the, the, the big, the big bugaboo, the, the, the big bugaboo that hangs over everyone growing cannabis indoors is the amount of electricity they use. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I mean, they use a lot of electricity. It's often talked about in the wrong way, but I think the industry sort of shies away from the discussion because it doesn't, it, it's a bugaboo. It kind of scares people to talk about it. I mean, but if you, but if the industry starts learning, get, doing their data, you know, understanding what what how many photons it takes to grow something, you know, what what it costs to buy that photon, and then you know what you end up with, what it sells, and how much, you know, what it sells for. So the 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 reality is, a single serving of cannabis, say the five or ten milligram state regulated single serving sizes uh, the amount of energy it takes to grow that and have it ready for sale is not much greater than the single serving of like tomatoes or it's less than the single serving of red meat by a long shot you know not ounce by ounce because they're completely different things but like you take a six or an eight ounce steak has much more carbon overhead Mm -hmm. uh, and energy use than the, the five or 10 ounce gummy that we were talking about. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. And, you hear those stats on how much energy consumption something takes to make and 
for those examples that you shared, you, you think about them singly and you're overwhelmed with that information. And then when you compare it to other things, it helps you wrap your head around, you know, what choices are you making out of all of the choices? What are the better choices? And are they in line with some of my other choices? But hearing them alone, I feel like sometimes is scary. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you start adding that up about how much, how much energy they use in Colorado compared to everything else in the state. And it's like, it's, yeah, that's a big number, you know, and there's no denying it. So I think that, I mean, the legal cannabis folks are generally very good about the sort of pesticide impacts and those kinds of things, you know, growing inside, you can't use a lot of nasty stuff because you have to breathe it. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing in greenhouses is the same thing. Growing outdoors, people can get sketchy, I think, but I I don't do that. So I I can't really speak to that side of the industry, but Mm -hmm. what about all the other parts of the plant? What happens to that besides the flower? The, when they're done. Yeah. Depend, they vary state by state, but most states have sort of this arcane thing that you have to, grind it up and mix it with other post-consumer product stuff. <laughs> Worried and that it may have a little THC in it, huh? Uh, just in case. Just, <laughs> just in case. Uh, you know, and, and compost it or, you know, bring it to a place that will compost it for some period of time. You know, it's, it, you know, it's usually state regulated and it's a, it's a little arcane. It's probably kind of stupid, but that's the way it is at the moment. You, know, you can't, one thing you can't do, which would be a great thing is, I mean, it's a, it's a carbon product. And one of the positive things you do, you can do with carbon things like wood or leftover wood products is you can turn them into char mm-hmm. or some kind of a carbon, carbon secondary product, you know, which sequesters the, the carbon in it forever, basically. Yeah. You know, and there, there's a couple of one company in this, in the cannabis space that is turning, they're not turning cannabis into it yet, but they're, they're taking, uh, they're creating uh, carbon grow media. Mm. Uh, they're they're looking at how how well the cannabis leftovers turn into to this char or this carbon grow media and that's you know so that's a good thing and then there's the fertilizers that a lot of people let their runoff from their plants go into the uh the sewer systems or onto the ground uh, that's it's more that's more a hangover practice from growing in, you know, when, when the illegal, illegal businesses but but a lot, a lot of the forward-thinking growers are you know basically are recirculating so you're you're maintaining a, a the correct amount of fertilizers in your um, mm. in your in your nutrient system, and you're not throwing it away and continually having to add more and throwing fertilizer onto the ground or into the sewers. That's what are some of the other benefits of a hemp crop compared to you know other crops? Hemp. All right, marijuana. Yeah. Marijuana hemp. Uh, well, hemp is a great uh, hemp is a great sequester of, um, of and, carbon. And so, I guess back it up. The are they different? I thought hemp and marijuana were the same thing. Um, no, they're they're the same plant. Basically. Okay, okay. Marijuana would be too, but you but in terms of sequestering lots of carbon, you need to plant it over plant it close together over a lot of acres. Uh, you know, having, you know, having a couple of acres of marijuana plants for you know, which would be a fairly big marijuana farm. Wouldn't be a bad thing, <laughs> but you wouldn't be sequestering very much uh, carbon. Having a big hemp farm with you know a few thousand acres, they're sequestering carbon. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. But yeah, you would have to. You would have. That's for an outdoor thing. That I mean, that really only applies to outdoors. Growing marijuana indoors into a cocoa coir or into water or into some other grow medium or carbon medium doesn't sequester the carbon 
right? Because you have then you would have to you would have to do something with the growing medium. From a sustainability perspective, you've kind of touched on this, but any yeah, the difference between indoor and outdoor. Uh, do you think one is uh, better for the environment than the other? It's just different. I mean, yeah, yeah growing outdoors is generally better for the environment, assuming all things being managed the same, everybody doing the right thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. if everyone's doing the right thing, it's, it, it's better to grow probably outdoors, yeah. but in, and it's in, in the, in growing in the greenhouses in the middle and, but it depends on where you are. Mm -hmm. It's nice, like in the central Valley or, or in the, the, the triangle, it's great to grow outdoors, but the question then becomes, where's your, what's your water source? Mm -hmm. Now they've got their own little bugaboo and, <laughs> and their, and their own thing that could be a problem. Can they catch enough rainwater so that they're not taking a lot of water out of the Colorado river? I mean, in Humboldt, they're not, but you know, they, the water source is a big problem growing in a dry climate, even though mm -hmm. the plant grows great in that climate, you still have to water it. Yeah. Uh, and then you're, you know, can you manage your nutrients into the ground? How are you doing that? Are you doing it without digging up and plowing the field every time you're doing this? I mean, it's got its own set of things. If everyone did, if, if someone growing outdoors does everything sort of probably the way they should, it can, it's probably more efficient and more sustainable and better for the environment. The greenhouse is kind of in between. Do they all grow um, at the but, same speed, whether it's outdoors, greenhouse, or controlled? No, they, they grow differently. Hmm. And the outdoor is probably the slowest and it's the most dependent on mother nature and the genetics you, you select to grow. Uh, the greenhouse is in between because it, it has a nice sort of more controlled environment. And in indoors is the most controlled and it's probably the fastest. You can grow, you know, anywhere from four, four or five crops a year is kind of the standard that people use for growing indoors. Wow. So if you, even if you're cut it in half and say the season is six months, you're still doing three turns, four, two to four, two to three turns. And there's not much two to three turn growing happening outdoors. Mm -hmm. uh, Some in Texas, and, but <laughs> not the same crop yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you have a longer season mm -hmm. and with a longer season, you can grow more. And there's genetics too, that come into it. There's, you know, which genetics are you using this? There's, there's a whole range of genetics that are based on ruderalis plants that, you know, are called auto flowers. And they, they start flowering after three weeks after you, they, they germinate. Wow. But there's, there's not much research. You can start doing it. They, they produce a nice plant, but they're not quite as good as a lot of the genetics people are using for regular growing. Uh, so that people aren't using them very much, but there's the beginnings of experimentation at that. But at that point, uh, they grow much faster. They start flowering right away. So the flower cycle, you know, you sort of get rid of two cycles. You know, you get rid of the, the early cycle and the vegetative cycle. They're basically flowering in three weeks and you can grow outdoors. You can grow a lot of cycles outdoors and you can grow them even more cycles indoors. Hmm. But there's the beginnings of, of genetic research as opposed to individual experimentation. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I like to talk about that way. There's plants in the plant world, there's genetics research about what, what makes a really good lettuce, what makes it, you know, what makes it powdery mildew resistant, what makes it grow faster, what makes it taste better, what makes all those things. Whereas, uh, you know, the cannabis space is kind of experimentation, 
trial and error. Um, at this point, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the end, in the place that that's going to happen is probably in, is in the universities, the same place it happens now. And there are companies then that, that specialize in it gotcha. uh, also, yeah. in addition to the universities. And as a result, you get really stable genetics that produces you know really great plants uh, that give people choices in what they're buying. It'll be interesting uh, what happens in the cannabis industry then once they yeah. have more years behind them. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's already 2,000 varieties when you go to the dispensary, but... Uh, oh, there are, but... There's not, but they're not that much to, different. More to come. <laughs> yeah. Um, more, more to come. And a lot of it will help the, the growing industry and the sustainability part of it. It's mm -hmm. like stuff growing... Right now, there's a lot of stuff that's being grown that was des designed over 30 years to grow indoors wow. illegally with HPS lights. The industry is moving to LED lights. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't moved completely yet, but it's moving to LED lights and they're not the same. People selected as they were picking stuff that was the best stuff to grow. They were picking it to grow in the environment they were growing in. Yeah. And uh, so it, you know, it's not that it's bad. It's just, it could be better. It could maybe, it could maybe grow faster. It could maybe have better profiles of terpenes. It could maybe have the right amount, right mix of other minor cannabinoids. It, it may taste better so that when you're making uh, edibles, right. you actually can, you can Help use it in, right. You can use it in your product as part of our flavor profile, as opposed to trying to hide it. Right. That'll be a big one for product companies, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, can I, can I, there's a, there's a product company in, in Los Angeles called Rose Los Angeles mm -hmm. and they make, they make gummies, but they use basically sort of single variety, single sourced cannabis products as in rosins that haven't been extracted down to, you know, isolate levels or those kinds of things so that they still have the same taste the plant had and all the chemicals the plant had. Interesting. And they're they're using some very famous chefs to mix it up with some really interesting fruits or vegetables and come up with something where it's not the taste isn't hidden. It become it becomes part of the process, part of what you're eating. Very cool. Uh, That's just like super any innovative. other great chef. So to get back to the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition, um, we know that yeah. you know it brings together industry leaders to improve sustainability, whether it's in the cultivation or the manufacturing or the distribution. What does yeah. the coalition hope to achieve in the coming years? We hope to get people to start basically writing down what you're doing, publishing it, and then saying what you're going to do to improve. We're not in the business of telling people that they have to use X amount of energy, you know, it's not because that's not how people are going to get to some sort of goal. You know, that you've got to sort of, it's part of a journey. You have to, you have to be able to say, okay, I use this much energy, it creates this amount of greenhouse gases or this amount of waste water or a certain amount of waste, other products. This is what we're doing today. I've measured it. And our plan is next year, we're going to be a little bit less. And the year after that, we're going to be a little bit less. And we're going to report this every quarter, you know, so that's our goal is to get people to doing that more. And to that end, um, you know, we've partnered with a company called sustain life that right makes the software to do that. They do to do the that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Having software you know, for that. It's basically the, a turbo tax for sustainability. And, you know, and in addition to that, all there's all the other parts of sustainability 
your social responsibility parts, your, you know, the, all the, the 17 do good things you need to do for your sustainable development goals, or they've co they cover all those. It's not just about the energy. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, getting people to use that. We're the chair people for the American Society of Testing and Measurements Cannabis Sustainability Group. And we've got 70 people in that that are ready and willing and starting to create uh, standards about what to measure and how to measure it uh, that will get reflected back to the regulators. Wow. We're so we're, it really is early days in terms of even understanding what sustainability means in this industry. Huh? Oh, yeah. There is no there is nothing in the OK, there's more. There are more groups than the ASTM, but th this is the first sort of national standards body that has an international standards body that has anything related to this. Yeah. And we're the sponsors for an ongoing project with Dartmouth University's their school of engineering doing research on cannabis energy use. So we're sort of on ongoing research to sort of push things along, some tools to make it easier for people to do it, and hopefully a place where some of the actions and some of these smart people who are making changes can, can start codifying that in, in standards uh, and, and a place to do it. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of the farmers don't even know where to begin in terms of trying right. to become more sustainable or more efficient. And so as a consumer, what information is currently out there about sustainability or about the sustainability of, you know, the edible they're going to buy or the butter joint they're going to buy at the store? Is there any transparency in that space on the packaging no. or labeling or anything no. like that? No. <laughs> and um, very, very little. The Some of the people who make the physical packaging are, are really working hard trying to figure out how to deal with that. But there's very, very little information about what's in, you know, about that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all, I think pretty much all the big pack, I don't know, I, I don't want to say all, but some of the big packaging companies that make the little boxes and the paper and the cardboard things and the plastic stuff are trying to figure out what to do with the post-consumer waste stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're, they are working on that. And there's a problem with the packaging because some of it is almost designed by the state regulators. So they have mm. problems on how to, what to, how you can deal with it. So for that, you know, there's stuff happening, but there's nothing like, no one is putting on their packaging, what their greenhouse gas profile is for that package, for that box, you know, and there's, and it's starting to happen in other industries. You know, it's start, all birds puts the greenhouse gas overhead for every shoe it makes mm -hmm. on the shoe. Mm -hmm. On the shoe uh, itself? On the shoe itself. Wow, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and some food products are, are putting in, in their barcodes or QR codes. You know, it may not be on the package, but you can scan the QR code or scan the barcode. Mm -hmm. And you can then say, oh, and compare the compare the two products you want to buy and say, well, I'll pick the, the one that has the better, you know, profiles. Uh, but there's nothing like that in the cannabis space, but there can be, mm -hmm. you know, and I think as, you know, it's going to be incumbent upon the consumers, I think, to whack the producers of the, you know, of the marijuana and the products and other to say, I want to know, <laughs> you know, because that's what they, that's what people do in the supermarket. 
And it's what they do when they buy other products. Right. Spilling uh, over to different industries at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. So in, in the cannabis folks are, are going to have to do it just like everybody else. I, I did a, a session uh, at, a, at a big conference and I created a, a ghost page uh, for a cannabis product that was connected to a QR code. You only need that tiny little space on your label. You don't have to give up a lot of a lot of space explaining your your process and your what you're doing and how you're committed to the environment and what the overhead is. You know, you put the QR code on there, you scan that, and you get it. You, it pops up a page that has all the information the consumer needs to know, and and probably a little marketing stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. The tools are there, and the industry. Sort of needs to start using it as as the yeah. industry gets more sophisticated. Well, one we Jess and I don't do very well with gummies. We really struggle even just on the dosing. We'll be sitting there watching a comedy show one time, and yeah. I was having a grand old time, and she was just like, "Hey, Mason, can you look up how to not be high?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, if you're asking that, <laughs> it's too long." But we love a, a joint best, just you know, yeah. smoking it. And as the industry becomes more sophisticated. I worry about the chemicals in it because smoking things obviously can be bad for you on yeah. their own. And I feel yeah. like cannabis has mostly avoided the reputation of being bad for you in the yeah. smoke format. Uh, do you have, is there research yet or is, is smoking worse than eating worse than tinctures or whatever? Um, well, it's the, I can, I can speak for Massachusetts and there are some other states that are the same. Massachusetts tests every batch of everything that goes out for everything from, okay. from herbicides to heavy metals. Yeah. Good to know. So there's nothing, there's nothing in it that shouldn't be in it. That's but great. I don't know if anyone can attest to the fact of whether the combination of burned cannabis that's completely clean has something in it that may not be good for you. <laughs> right. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the quantity, yeah, yeah, you know, and frequency and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, Makes sense. You know, and I also think that the flower vape industry, you know, could be and should be doing a better job about explaining uh, how that is actually better than burning, because it's you know, all, you know, heating it up to a certain point where the 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 volatile things come off it but don't burn. Right. Um, generally, it's the burn stuff that creates other chemicals that aren't good for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you're really, you know, the, the just heating it up and releasing volatile organics is definitely probably a much cleaner, healthy thing than frying and, and charcoalizing. That's, that's good to know. And it's really great to know that Massachusetts is testing because that would be one of my you know biggest fears is, I mean, we buy organic food. We don't want it on the stuff that we're even touching and to imagine right. actually smoking pesticides. It sounds like a really bad idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Massachusetts tests everything. I'm not sure which states test for what. There's generally a trend towards, they all test somewhat and there's a trend toward more testing. Yeah. <laughs> Good. You know. So we know when it was, the industry was primarily, and it probably still is primarily, but completely dominated by illegal activity, that there was a lot of cartel influence. I don't know if up there in Massachusetts, you have any kind of insights, but do you, I, is the cartel still involved in the industry on the legal side? And what do they think of legalization? 
I don't know. Here, <laughs> there, there was never any. There was never really any large scale illegal growing. Yeah. In Massachusetts, so most of the product on the East Coast and Northeast was trucked in. Yeah. Um, so the cartel was involved in the process of distribution, but not in the growing thing. Right. So. I, I, I don't see that. I mean, there still is apparently a large chunk of the industry that is illegal. <laughs> uh, but I do think a lot of it is um, more of it is lo more local mm -hmm. than it was back in the old days. Yeah. And in Texas, I think what has taken a big chunk of getting from Mexico, you saw come from Mexico and now everyone just flies it back from Colorado or drives it back yeah. from Colorado and exactly. we get it every time we get Yeah, it. I think that's where the illegal stuff here comes from now. I mean, it's either grown here and the people who did a little bit of growing expanded yeah. right, <laughs> or it gets trucked back or flown back from somewhere else. Yeah. I've also heard banking is a real nightmare for the industry. Is that starting to come together or are y'all having to self-organize? Banking? Yeah. Banking. Banking is not a good thing in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's still um, a lot of cash, right? <laughs> well, particularly at the retail level, you know, at the, in my, again, in, in, it's different in every state, but in, in Massachusetts now you can use uh, debit cards. Mm -hmm. uh, so you Colorado don't have to too. use cash. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to use cash, uh, which is a really good thing, but you still can't use credit cards because the federal government's involved in that hmm. more so than local banking it's difficult to get for people to get funding it's difficult to get loans to buy you know you can't it's very difficult if not impossible to get a loan to do you want to add ten thousand square feet to a building you can't just go and get a building loan even if you maybe have been in business for four years and show a good yeah you know it can show a good pro Massive forma, profit yeah a good balance or, or just a good decent balance sheet uh you know you you can't go just get a loan uh and there's the the whole 280e tax problem on top of that right uh, you know which scares away banks because they're not sure about whether the business is going to be worth anything or can continue to stay alive if they have to they can't deduct anything um well i think it's really yeah. interesting that it's you know it's early days from a sustainability perspective i really hope that the industry grows with sustainability at its core so it doesn't go the yeah. way of all these other industries like fashion that are now having to try to backpedal significantly on environmental impact mm -hmm. what do you think are the most important factors the industry needs to influence to move towards sustainability i think that they, they've got to get a grip on their you know their position on energy. I mean, that's, that really is it. That is the one thing that's going to hang over the industry's head. And they just need to basically own up to where they are in the, you know, in the space today and start talking about it clearly and not hide from it and, and get better at it. You know, there's the, the research we've just, the research work we're in the middle of or you know, this phase we've just completed is, is looking like that a facility that was well-designed and well-managed and save around 75% of their energy costs by adopting some of the things we're talking about. And that's if, they, if they're using old-style HPS lights mm. or metal halide lights. And if they're already doing that, it's, it's a lot of the, the, the building management and humidity and temperature and environment environmental management uh, will still allow them to pull out another over 50%. You know, there's room, and again, you don't have to change it. People don't have to change it today, 
<laughs> we just have to, you know, own up to where you are today and sign on the dotted line saying, I'm going to do better. You know, yeah. And, you know, and start plotting along the course to getting better at it. You know, and, and if you talk to people in the, that are building cannabis facilities, um, you'll find that the way they call it is it's the only building industry that's upside down. Hmm. And what they mean by that is that the people buying or having facilities designed are driving the product and build out decisions as opposed to hiring the people who know how to do it <laughs> and, uh, and, and relying on their advice. There's a lot of, there's a lot of room for improvement and people have to do it, you know, and, and, you know, there'll be things like hybrid where people will grow a little bit outdoors, a little bit indoors, and a little bit in greenhouse, you know, to make it, to balance off their product suite and their balance sheet to go with it. <laughs> like there's, there's probably no reason to grow product that's going to end up in gummies or in drinks indoors to the same way that you would grow, you know, people who want to buy pretty, pretty flower that smells nice, It'd make more sense to, to be able to grow some of that stuff outdoors or in a, in a, in a greenhouse and save yourself some money. You, uh, swag you, don't have to worry, you don't have to worry about whether the butt is a little bit scraggly. <laughs> as long as it has the right balance of cannabinoids and terpenes and everything else. And it is, you know, it'll have the right balance of stuff. It just won't look as pretty. <laughs> It's yeah, funny it's how ingrained cannabis culture in Austin is. Our last company, CC's Vegico, we made pasta out of uh, fresh vegetables, but we called all the kind of the extra pieces that didn't quite make it, we called it shake. And I didn't even know no. that that was a cannabis term until someone, we had a, a meeting, I think it was a Kroger yeah. meeting in National, and someone was like, you call it, why do you call it shake? And we're like, I don't, I don't know. And That's what we call it. <laughs> yeah, that's what we call it. But this episode is going to air on 420. And so one question I had about that, at one point I had looked up the legend of 420. Are you familiar with the legend of 420? No, I know it's a legend. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it first aired in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. They used yeah. it and they were able to track it down to some, literally some high school on the beach in California. And yeah. it was either at 420 in the afternoon or uh, on 420, they would throw a huge party. But either either way, they, they got it down to some high school in California. I feel like wow, the really? legend has been fading because as we talk about this episode airing on 420, some people are like, what, is it, what does that mean? And we're like, what yeah. do you mean? What does it mean? <laughs> no, I, I know it's a thing. I just don't know exactly what. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so as we light up on 420, yeah. How can consumers best help with leading the industry more towards sustainability? Start asking the, the people who are selling you products at the, at the retail level, what's the profile? You know, what, you know, is, what's, the, what's the greenhouse overhead? What do you know about this product? Start asking, instead of asking how much THC is in it, <laughs> or you can get, you can still ask that, but ask the next sure. question. Ask the next question. You know, how is it grown? Or if it's another product like gummy, say what's in it? You know, how is it made? And to tell you the truth, if if you look at the market research, you'll see that a lot of the decisions in the industry are driven by bud tenders. What's that? Um, but bud tenders tend to be the you know long experienced sort of heavy user. Um, Not to a bad point, but, but 
so they drive the uninitiated, the, the curious consumer towards things that they think are important until the consumers start asking the bud tender, who really does have a lot of influence in the industry, you know, what is the background of this product? You know, how was it grown? You know, what is the greenhouse gas over here? How much energy, you know, whatever they want to ask them. But until those questions start, start trickling into the bud tender's ears, um, my feeling is it's not going to get to the folks who make the product decisions. You know, we're starting to see that. I know one company, one, one large MSO who has actually noticed that, that some consumers are starting to ask the, you know, the, the same, the, the folks who are asking about their lettuce are starting to ask about their cannabis, but it's just starting and they haven't really done anything about it yet, but they're mm -hmm. hearing it. That's what you can do and ask, you know, this is going to be the right experience for me. And tell me about how, how it was grown or made. Wonderful. And Perfect. I'm sure no one's going to know. <laughs> right. 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 Especially at the uh, retailer level, they're like, um, they're not going to have any yeah. idea. But ask the right. question, That's, vote with your dollar. But then they'll ask, you know, the next person. Yeah. So, right. You know, and then it might get on the website and then it will get into the training for the bud tenders. You know, like right now, if you look at a, most vendors websites, basically it's a retail store with no information about the product. <laughs> for buying something on Amazon has more information about a product that mm -hmm. you're buying than the cannabis websites actually have. Yeah, that is um, hilarious. Makes yeah, got to ask the question. Yeah, start, ask, start asking the question and it will drive the industry forward. You uh, ready to toke one up yet, Jeff? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny that some people don't even know about 420 at all. Like when, my mom. Yeah. And <laughs> I think my mom, who actually smoked pot for probably most of her life, and there were some other people, as we talked about, oh, for 420, we're going to do a cannabis one. They're like, why? What does that mean? <laughs> so there's going to be a poll with this episode on Spotify. Let us know if you're familiar with the 420 legend and whether you... Um, I guess celebrate the holiday is how you'd say it. <laughs> Anyways, takeaways. I think it's fascinating. There are no standards for sustainability yet in the cannabis industry. And when you look on the shelf retail, you can't tell what's in it. That, it it kind of sucks. They're in the write it down and try to do better next time phase of growth. But I hope they keep an eye on the environment as the industry continues to boom. I know some large players like Philip Morris and even some big pharma companies are buying up large swaths of land in anticipation of national legalization. So there's going to be pressure on both sides, and I hope sustainability wins. Takeaways for you, Jess? A takeaway for me is something similar, I guess, to other topics we've discussed, the power of the consumer. If you want to know what's in something or being sprayed on something like herbicides or pesticides, you just have to ask and have a conversation about it. Yeah, for sure. And put some pressure on the industry that you want to see some change in. Though it does seem like the cannabis industry is a little further away from listening to their customers about demanding sustainability initiatives, but you got to start somewhere, I guess. Yeah, it always starts with a conversation. Yeah. And well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Anyways, this was a fun one and a brand new one to both of us. If you have any other apropos topics you'd like us to tackle throughout the year, send us a note or to just say hi, or to say you actually listen to these podcasts. We see people listening, but we don't hear from enough of you. So reach out, and you'll get a very nice prize. And don't forget to leave us a review if you like the content. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.